All right, good afternoon. Uh, today's message is the third in a sermon series on wisdom in romance. So I will be wrapping up next week with the fourth and final installment. I think I can actually go on for about three more sermons. I've been reading uh, Tim Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, and he provides a lot of amazing insight. Um, so I can go on three more, but for now, I'll just go one more next week. Uh, and so today is the third message. Last week, I covered the topic, Does God Predestine Your Spouse? And we looked at a careful study of Scripture shows that God does this for some people, but it's not explicit that He does this for everyone. We see a variety of love stories and marriages that God blesses in the Bible. <clears throat> what Scripture does reveal is that once you're married, you are to stay married. And that the marriage decision is a cooperative one where both God and man play a role in the process. There's a paradox here. God gives man full freedom to choose. And at the same time, God works behind the scenes to direct our path toward his predestined plan. So it's a paradox. Uh, Two seemingly contradictory things that coexist together. Now, if you have a desire to be married, there were three B's to remember. What were the three B's? Number one. Be optimistic, be active, and three, be faithful. If you have a desire to be married, while you are waiting, remember these three Bs. I also covered three common beliefs. I actually only got to one because I went over time. So three common beliefs which discourages practical thinking, rushes the process, and causes needless confusion for many Christians. I covered the first of the three. The first was, uh, this misconception was, finding your marriage partner must be done intuitively rather than rationally. And we looked at that. Number two, a common belief that a lot of young Christians have is, the Lord will give me a sign. So all I got I to keep my eyes open for this supernatural sign. Third is, should someone else make the decision for me? It's another common belief that causes a lot of uh, needless confusion and also discourages Christians from really thinking things through on their own. Uh, last week, I, I talked about intuition rather than um, uh, we, should mar- we should find our marriage partner intuitively rather than rationally. I, I, I expose how this is a common misconception and it's dangerous to depend solely on intuition. Instead, we ought to use our God-given mind. Amen. Don't rush for the answer whether she is your wife or not. Fall in love slowly. Don't be so event-oriented. Be process-oriented. There may be several relationships that you may need to explore before you find the one that you desire to marry. And if that happens, that's perfectly okay. That is not abnormal. That does not mean you're not discerning the will of God clearly for your life. It just means it's a gracious process. And if that happens, that's fine. The second thing that I didn't get to cover, uh, and I'll try to do this quickly so I can get to my message, is, uh, <laughs> Lord, give me a sign. Lord, give me a sign. Now, instead of looking for a sign, brothers and sisters, it's better to just get to know that other person and assess your compatibility with them. You see, love is like a flower. <laughs> if you want to see its beauty, you got to let it bloom. You cannot 
impatiently pull it apart when you get a few signs. That's what a lot of Christians do. They just look for these supernatural signs and, Lord, this must be your sign. So she must be my spouse. He must be my husband. And they just start pulling at that flower. Some Christians, they ask God for a sign, but they never specify what that sign will be. So they end up waiting indefinitely. Other Christians do specify what sign they are looking for. And it's a practice called putting out a fleece. And it's in reference to what Gideon did in the book of Judges chapter 6. Now the thing about fleecing, everyone say fleecing. fleecing. Is the Bible does not include it as an example to follow. When, when the Bible includes Gideon doing it, it's not like, oh, Gideon was commended for his acts of faith. No, Gideon was scared out of his mind and he was being asked to go up against this million man army and he wanted to be sure that it was God who was calling him to do that. So he put out a fleece. Uh, In fact, the Bible warns us, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, occasionally God may honor a fleece offered by a young, immature, sincere believer, but the Bible does not promise that God is bound to do so. You know, in my own search for my spouse i've been guilty of looking for a sign things like god if she comes to church today wearing the same color clothes i will take that as a sign that she is my chosen mate god out of all the many community groups here at hillside that she could be assigned to if she gets assigned to my community group i will know that that is you speaking to me And people will pray that, and when it happens, man, all kinds of thoughts start going through their minds. Let me read to you a journal entry from August of 2006. I'll just read to you a little excerpt. All right, this is me being vulnerable, all right, about my own mistakes and weaknesses. Quote, as the Lord has been teaching me lessons through this painful wait for Joanne. Okay, the the names have been changed to protect the... (laughs) Identity of those involved. As I've been in this painful wait for Joanne, I've had peace about God's will for my future marriage. I still believe that Joanne is the one I will wed. So many signs. The dream. The fasting. The prayers. The passion. In her plain letter to me. And my unshakable delight in her. I still believe she's the one, but even as I hope, my hope is not in her, but in the Lord. Thus, I also know that I could be totally wrong about Joanne, just as I have been wrong with past crushes. Okay, you see me? I'm a very honest man when I journal, okay? And up until 2006, I had a a vast list of girls that I thought God had shown me was the one, but I was wrong. And I was admitting here that although I was convinced, I could still be wrong. And indeed, I was wrong. Because uh, uh, actually, exactly a month after I wrote this journal entry, I, went, I met Pastor Aaron. And about five months later, I fell in love with her. All right? And so you might be like, oh, man, I can't ask God for a sign. The good news is we have something better than a sign. But and sisters, in Christ, we all have the filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to look for a fleece or a supernatural sign. You have the spirit of God in you. 
And when you are filled with the Spirit, you, you can have the mind of Christ to test and approve of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's an author named Dallas Willard. He talked, talks about in his book, Hearing God, the role of maturity in hearing from God. He, he says, As Bible history proceeds, we notice that in the process of divine communication, the greater the maturity of the listener, the greater the clarity of the message, and the lesser the role played by dreams, visions, and other strange phenomena and altered states. In other words, don't look for a sign. Learn to depend on your relationship and intimacy with God. You have the Spirit of God with you. Uh, third misconception, common belief that a lot of young Christians have is, someone, should someone else make the decision for me? I should get the confirmation of someone else. In America, some churches teach that parents have a chain of command authority when it comes to their children's marriage. Now, although many do not hold to this belief anymore, this is still gospel among many Korean Christians. And it is blatantly apparent when a Korean or Korean-American young adult tries to marry against the wishes of his or her parents. The children are accused of being not only a bad son or daughter, but they're often accused of being a bad Christian. Why do they accuse us this way? Because among Confucian-influenced Korean Christianity, uh, a lot of Korean Christians believe that parents have a chain of command authority in deciding who their children should marry. In other settings, pastors... Or elders or spiritual leaders are seen as possessing the authority to decide who their members should marry. And lastly, we have in the charismatic movement, those who believe that someone with the gift of prophecy should tell them who they should marry. Now, let me tell you something. (laughs) Marriage is a huge decision. And it's a decision that you have to live with. So the responsibility of making this decision lies squarely on you and on your relationship with God. It does not rest on your parents or some prophetically gifted minister. And the decision most definitely does not lie with me as your pastor. I don't have this authority. I don't want this responsibility. If you want a pastor like that, you can go join the, re, uh, the Unification Church, the Moonies. All right? All you do is sign up, become a member, and they will prearrange your marriage with someone you've never seen before. Of a different ethnicity and a different country. And they'll do it in a big stadium full of 300 other couples that are all getting married at the same time. If that's what, you want a pastor like that, go to the Moonies. But in this church, that decision and that weight will lie with you. All I simply do in this, my role is simply to assess whether you are ready for marriage and then release my blessing for you to pursue someone in a timely and fitting manner. But once you have my blessing and the relationship is proceeding further, I will not and cannot make that decision for you. You have to assess the compatibility. You got to understand if you have a substantial romantic interest and you got to push that thing forward. Look, you got to live with that person. You got to make that decision. A Korean parent may object here and they quote Colossians 3.20 saying that children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Uh, But the Greek word for children here, technon, 
denotes a young child and not an adult son or daughter. The command to honor our parents is still applicable, but as I taught in a previous sermon, honoring your parents as an adult should look different than honoring your parents as adolescents, as children. All right. So, three common beliefs that cause a lot of confusion. You should use your intuition. You should look for a sign. And I should get someone else to make this decision for me. Okay? You are encouraged here. And you're being taught here. Use your mind. Have a comprehensive assessment. And you decide in your mind and heart if this is someone that you feel substantial romantic interest toward to proceed further. Does God predestine my marriage partner? The Bible does not explicitly say so. But one thing is clear. God does have a specific plan for your life. And you can discern and follow and fulfill this plan if you are in right relationship with him. Now, uh, that was a wrap up of last week's message. I'll get to my message right now. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to cover a couple of common questions. One is, can Christians date and marry a non-believer. Now, a lot of you, you know, believe that you know the simple answer, but you may not know the reasons why that is the answer. So I will, I'll try to address that uh, because uh, even in our church, that is a question that is continually asked, you know, uh, especially by a lot of uh, young men and women who are getting older and older, and they're feeling very impatient And they're feeling very uh, anxious. They're they're going to start asking because they're meeting some great non-believing people who will make great marriage partners. And they want to know, why can't I? Okay, And so I will try to address that next week. And by the way, man, like, like, all right, I will address it next week. (laughs) And next week, I will also address myths about physical compatibility. Myths about physical compatibility. I'll just give you a little snippet. That's a real good one next week. Uh, Some people believe sexual attraction must be overwhelming before you decide to marry someone. And if it's not overwhelming, there's something wrong, and I probably should marry them. That's a common conception that a lot of men have, even women. Or, Or a person may think you will be more strongly attracted sexually to the person you are to marry than you've ever been toward anyone else. Okay, this is also a common belief. Uh, or some people believe that uh, if this person is uh, my real you know, spouse, uh, if either of you still feels um, physical attraction to anyone else, then you actually shouldn't marry each other. You, know, you, know, you should only have eyes for me. You know, that kind of you know, you know, thinking and belief. And when they find out that you know, their boyfriend was actually poss- can have a possibility of being physically attracted to some other girl, some girls really take that very devastatingly. Because they have this Disney fantasy <laughs> that once their husband falls in love with them, they're only going to have eyes for them. And so they use that as almost a qualifier for whether to proceed with marriage. We need to address some of these myths. And so next week, we'll touch upon that. <laughs> but today, today we're going to, uh, the title of my sermon is Proper Covering for the Dating Process. Proper Covering for the Dating Process. Uh, Our church, New Philadelphia, we have something here called the dating protocol at our church. The dating protocol. Everyone say say dating protocol. protocol. What's up, New Philly, Itaewon, Seaside, Sydney? (laughs) I love y'all. I'm thinking of y'all. We're praying for y'all. All All right. 
Now listen to my message. Uh, <clears throat> we have something called the dating protocol. It serves to provide proper covering for singles who would like to explore dating for the sake of marriage. For our church members, depending on their level of maturity, it is strongly recommended. For new Philly leaders at our four church campuses and for our college ministry, following the dating protocol is expected and required if you want to stay on leadership. Independent dating is seen as insubordination. If you don't know what that word means, here's a more practical term. Rebellion. <laughs> right? If you, you want to date, I want to do it my own way. It's my way or the highway. Man, I know how to date somebody. I don't need all this covering. I don't need all this. I don't need your wisdom. I handle it myself. Okay? You have that kind of attitude. All right, well, you can keep coming out to our church. You can't be a leader. You can't be leading people, overseeing people with that kind of attitude. You know? Uh, now, I want to answer one question first. As the lead pastor here of this church community, do I have the right to require a grown man or a grown woman to submit to a dating protocol? Isn't that a little bit youth group-ish? <laughs> do I have the right? Does the lead pastor have the right to make grown adults submit to a dating protocol? And my answer is a firm yes. <laughs> I think, in my own personal opinion, that every church should provide some kind of recommended outline to follow for its members and require it of the leaders. This is because dating decisions always affect the entire church community. Oh, no, it doesn't. Oh, as long as no one else knows, you know, until we, you know, we announce our engagement, it does affect it. Whether the person is dating a fellow church member, or dating someone at another church, these decisions always affect the church community. And when dating decisions lack wisdom, accountability, maturity, it almost always negatively affects the church community. People can fall into sexual sin. They can get hurt. They can get disillusioned, get very angry, especially if they are a leader, a worship leader a Bible study teacher, your community group leader, if they make this dating decisions that have no accountability whatsoever and they're just doing things their own way, it almost always negatively affects the church community. Now, I've even heard of single youth pastors doing all kinds of shady things and even falling into sexual sin with a high school youth group student, all because there was no clear guidelines of how a romance should be pursued. You think it's just one story or two stories. You will be surprised how many stories I know of among my pastoral peers. When things are done in the dark without any accountability, things can escalate very quickly toward all kinds of shadiness and sexual sin and destructive behavior. And as the pastor who has been loving and healing and nurturing and discipling the sheep of this pasture? Do I have a right to be involved? Oh, you better believe it. 
I, I heal and love and invest into them, and then you come and you destroy it, destroy it all and hurt them? I don't think so. Not on my watch. I'm not just a pastor with a job and a paycheck. I serve as a spiritual father of this church family. And our campus pastors serve as local spiritual fathers at their church campuses. And your Emmaus campus directors serve as a sort of spiritual mother and father figure on your local university campuses. It's very important to get their involvement. Actually, uh, if they're single, though, in our church, uh, we don't get them involved. You have to be a married person to be involved because there could be conflict of interest. Because you might be like to your, um, you know, single uh, New Philly ET1 campus pastor. You might be like, um, uh, Pastor Marcus, I have an uh, interest in um, um, <laughs> you know, I have interest in Ginny Kwan. And Pastor Marcus goes, <laughs> Pastor Marcus goes, um, oh really? I don't think you should pursue her. And the reason why is because Pastor Marcus has been nurturing romantic feelings for Chini Kwan. So you can see the conflict of interest there. There's a single spiritual leader involved in overseeing the process. So we only have married couples uh, that get involved with this. Anyway, that's just a little bit of wisdom for church pastors that are listening. Now, now that we've dealt with that question, should I be involved or not? All right. Let me outline our church's dating protocol. And I'm going to do it in the most simplest way possible. So you can walk down the hill later on and you'll remember it very clearly. Okay. Now, last time I taught this to our new Philly leaders, it took four hours. So to get it in one sermon, you will be getting a very condensed, abridged version. All right. But it's still going to be good. So listen up. The new Philly dating protocol is simply a practical outline filled with godly wisdom to provide covering for singles who would like to initiate a dating process. It also provides a great atmosphere of safety for the women of the house. When there is no protocol, usually they get bombarded with all kinds of foolish approaches. But it provides that level of safety for women to be able to say yes without fear of embarrassment or some kind of, you know, strange foolish thing or, you know, Or, you know, know, all kinds of things can happen when there is no covering or accountability for the men. It is not a legalistic policy meant to take away your freedom and kill your fun. In fact, I have designed it to be a very expeditionary, to expedite the process of your marriage prospects. It is an efficient system. Not meant to slow you down, but in, in fact is meant to accelerate you into your possible future marriage. It is a protocol meant to impart wisdom and life for a generation of young people who have no fatherly voice speaking into their love life. The only voices that are speaking into their love life are Hollywood movies, are hip-hop gangster rap songs, (laughs) or R&B love ballads, or Korean dramas. Oh, that's the way a man should pursue a woman. Oh, that's the way I want to be pursued. And they get all, you know, all kinds of crazy stories. You know, but you know, you don't ever think of a Korean drama producer's mind. They, they don't want to just write a typical, plain, boring love story. They want to make it dramatic. They're going to have the characters do all kinds of crazy things so that it gets you to watch. You don't, you don't want to follow the Korean drama system sometimes. They, 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 these writers, they're out of their mind. 
We need fatherly voice to speak into the love lives of our young generation. Amen. You don't want me to speak into your life? Don't worry, I won't. You really don't want it? Our good luck, though. Good luck. Because here, right here, wisdom's going to go out. Here, a lot of mistakes have been made. I have wisdom in abundance to give to anyone who desires. Now, the simplest way to think of the Newfoundland Dating Protocol is to remember five stages. Men will be like, oh, there's like nine steps. Okay, so look, just remember five stages. Now, the last two stages are very obvious. The last two are engagement and marriage. You already know that one. So, in fact, all you have to do is remember three stages. Okay? It's so very simple, right? You can walk down the hill, catch the bus later, and you can remember the first three stages. Everybody in here. Okay? So, stage one, I call it dating. Stage two, I call it going steady. Stage three, I call it going public. Okay? Three very clear, distinct stages. Men who have rarely or recklessly been in romantic relationships will fail to recognize the necessity of these three stages. But most women who have intelligibly thought things through or had a horrible, had an array of horrible dating relationships in the past will understand why these three distinct stages are important. Now, before we even talk about you taking any of these steps toward these stages, there's a very important prerequisites that need to happen before you go to stage one. For all the men of the house, I require them to persuade me or their campus pastor for all of our multi-sites who are uh, married campus pastors at our multi-sites. I require all the men of the house to persuade me whether they are ready for marriage or not. Now at New Philly and at many churches, we call this being in season. Everybody say in season. season. Ask your neighbor, are you in your season? Now, I use, I use three main criteria to assess whether you are in your season. I, I will briefly summarize these criteria. Criteria one, financial readiness. I'm going to get real, real. I'm going to get real, real. I require of the men, at least at New Philly, and this could be different, at, you know, depending on your different local church context. I require 150% of the price of an engagement ring. So, you know, engagement rings, typically in the Western world, you know, you're supposed to put in about two to three months of your monthly salary toward the ring. So you make $3,000, you should buy a ring that's between six to $9,000. You make $2,500 a month, you should look to get a ring between $5,000 to $7,000. You, you guys get the picture, right? Uh, so, if you're looking to buy a $6,500 ring, then you need about 150% of that, $10,000. So you need to show me in your bank account that you can at least take it to stage four and not have to, you know, abandon ship. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, how, this, how, how torturous is that to be a woman who t- goes that far and then finds out you ran out of money? You know, you, you got to at least have the money to be able to go to stage five. You don't want st- stick, to be sta- stuck in stage, uh, uh, I mean, stage four, which is engagement. You don't want to be stuck in stage three. 
for like four or five years. A lot of, a lot of young Christian couples, they're stuck in stage three for various reasons. But one of the main reasons could be financial reasons because a man just doesn't have the money. He can't buy you that ring. So all the new Philly men, I required them to send me a screenshot of their bank account. <clears throat> I'm serious here. It's got to show their name, the bank name, the account number, the date of the balance, and the actual balance. Okay? All those things must be shown on the screenshot or I, do, I disqualify it. All right? And all the men, you guys know that you've done that. I have a file in my computer. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. And if you, if you pursue someone but it didn't work out and like a year and a half you want to pursue someone else, I'm going to ask for another screenshot uh, to make sure you're, you're current. All right, financial readiness. Second, a spiritual emotional readiness. Uh, some questions that may be asked to assess spiritual and emotional readiness could be, how has your relationship with God looked the past year? Have you had a steadfast season of walking out your Christian life? Are you praying regularly? Do you read the Bible? Do you honor the Bible? Have you received healing and deliverance for serious areas of bondage? Are you still in the middle? Uh, are you in the middle of struggling with depression, substance abuse, mental illness, some, something like that? You know, maybe you need to deal with that first. Are you still in the middle of, uh, or um, has a good chunk of time passed? Let's say like seven to nine months since the previous serious relationship you had. Especially if that previous serious relationship involved a lot of cohabitation or sex. You need a good long period. You know, you don't want to just be on the rebound. Being on the rebound, it really severely hinders your judgment. Or if you have a loved family member that just passed away, maybe you should deal with that first. Let's honor and grieve for that person before you just jump into a romantic relationship. So emotional and spiritual readiness could be assessed by any of these questions. So we look for the overall readiness. Third is ecclesiastical readiness. People are like, what? Ecclesiastical readiness is just a fancy way of saying, uh, how is your relationship with the local church? Some people might say, well, what's, how is that relevant? Well, the way a man treats the bride of Christ may reveal a lot about how he will treat his own bride. So how is that man's relationship with the local church this past year? Has he been attending regularly? Is he committed? Or has he been going there for 10 years and hasn't lifted a finger to serve the house? Uh, is he in a period of restoration or church discipline? And if so, then maybe you should wait until they complete that process of church discipline. All right? Ecclesiastical readiness. So financial, spiritual, emotional, and ecclesiastical church readiness. All right? So that's those three criteria I use to uh, assess whether you are in your season. Now, once your campus pastor or I myself, I'm persuaded that you are ready and the timing is good. We will release our blessing for you to pursue the relationship. But time out, time out. <laughs> depending on the situation, depending on the girl's situation, depending on your age, your maturity, we may ask you to take a consecrated, consecrated period of prayer anywhere from one to three months where we want you to pray about it. This is to give God an opportunity to speak into it rather than for you to feed this infatuation fire and for God to raise any red flags uh, on your side or on her side that you may have overlooked. And it is also to prevent immature brothers from just acting on their ever-changing fickle crushes and whims. So, you know, we sometimes will ask them to 
Take a period, month to three months. Just pray about it. And then you can proceed. Proverbs 23, 24 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Amen? Don't you want God to be glad in you? Well, a wise son, the father will be glad in him. Don't you want your pastor? Don't you want your campus pastor, your local church pastor? Don't you want them to be glad in you? Well, then you got to walk as a wise son. Not as a foolish one. Not as a reckless one. Amen? Oh, I guess my joy isn't that important to you. <laughs> Just like, yeah, yeah, that will be nice. I don't need to have it, though. Wow, wow. Oh. Wow. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Now, if you are truly in your season, your pastor will simply rejoice over you to proceed. Let's go to stage one, dating. Listen up, men of God. It's very important. Once you've received the blessing of your local church pastor or spiritual father, whoever is relevant, then you are to proceed to stage one, which is called dating. You go up to the girl and you ask for one date and one date only. And you are to do this in person and if you cannot help it on the phone. Let me mention some do nots here. Okay. Do not ask the girl out on the one date using email or a text message or cacao or whatever you use. Don't do it. Do not express all your feelings for her <laughs> when you ask her out or when you're on your date. Do not bring your journal with you and show her the entries <laughs> in your journal. <laughs> it's funny because y'all, some of y'all, it happened to you and you did it yourself. Do not share any intuition that you have that she is your wife or to share any prophetic words or supernatural signs or dreams that you are to be together. This is impatience at best. And spiritual manipulation at worst. So let the process work itself out. Don't be using all that stuff for leverage. Do not tell others about your date with her. Especially her friends. Do not take her to a fancy restaurant. Do not wear a very formal type of suit. Okay? I mean... You got to think it from a girl's perspective. The girl is thinking, all right, we're just going on one date. We're not getting married. Not, we're just going on one date. She shows up wearing something nice, but, you know, it's just fairly casual. And you show up in a suit <laughs> with a rented limo and a bouquet of flowers. I've been waiting for this first date all my life. You're going to look desperate. You're going to look out of touch. You're going to make her feel very uncomfortable. She may not even follow through with that first date. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that to her. Don't do that to yourself. Okay? Keep it casual so that unnecessary pressure does not hinder the girl from getting to know the real you. All right? Just keep the pressure off. Just keep it casual. And because it was a casual meal, let the, don't let the girl pay. You pay. All right? It wasn't that expensive in the first place, right? So you pay. In fact, you should continue to pay. Why should, she, why, should she, why should she pay for you to explore your romantic interests? You know what I mean? You should pay. It should be on you. 
All the women say, Amen. You let the, you let the men pay. Uh, here's another do not. Here's another do not. On the first date, do not make any physical contact or talk, take her to a furniture store and talk about how many children you want to have. All right? Neither do not. Do not. Oh, here's another do not. Do not go to places where you can be easily seen by other church members. A lot of our new field leaders have been guilty of that. But, you know, it's hard because our church members are everywhere. Right? Very hard. But, you know, try to be stealth as, as much as possible. Do not ask the girl to be your girlfriend on the first date or to go steady with you. It's not the point. That's not where she's at. And do not assume that just because she said yes to one date means that she is now your girlfriend. Let me tell you something, all the men in the house and all the men in and outside the church. Here's what a lot of men subconsciously or consciously do. A lot of men, they, because we're in this very sexualized culture and because of the tradition of patriarchal cultures that, we, that have been handed down to us, uh, a lot of men tend to objectify women. Now, some of the men in here, you may not know what that means. What does it mean to objectify a woman? Uh, let me take you back memory lane. Let's say, let me take you back to when you were seven years old, in first or second grade, and you're playing with your toys, your G.I. Joes, your Transformers, your cars, or some of you, Barbie. <laughs> Whatever you play with, right? You have your toys. <coughs> And you know those toys belong to you. And let's say a fellow seven-year-old comes over to play. And that seven, fellow seven-year-old says, you know, I want to play with that Barbie doll. I want to play with that toy and takes it from you. What a lot of little six, seven-year-olds do. They immediately grab it back and they say, no, it's mine. <laughs> mine. Mine. David, David on, please share. Learn to share. Not mine. Right? Why? Because they've learned a very important uh, aspect of child development. They've learned the concept of possession. And this is actually something you want to encourage a child to grasp. If they don't get the uh, concept of possession, uh, they will never actually develop in a healthy manner mentally. Okay? So they need to have that concept. But as they mature, you can start teaching them how to share. Well, what happens with a lot of uh, men is they look at women in a very similar way. They look at women as an object, like a toy, a piece of property, rather than a dignified person. They tend to be more self-centered in their thinking, in their dating process, and not considering what the girl might be feeling. They're just goal-oriented. Let me get married with this girl. Let me, let me proceed forward. And, and either if you're in the secular world, try to get her into bed. Or if in the Christian world, try to get her onto the altar. And then get her to bed. <laughs> Wait. Man, let's, let's, let's be real, right? <laughs> but a lot of men today, they tend, especially in this pornography-dominated culture, there's a lot of objectifying of women. You know, if you look at a lot of pornography, one of the negative effects that it has on your mindset is you tend to objectify women. And that can actually cause you to avoid women or to 
be attracted to women, but to treat, her, treat, them, treat them as objects, not as people. A woman is not an object. She is not your toy, and she is not your property. Do not objectify women. Women, do not let men objectify you. Think of it this way. God, the sovereign God of the whole entire universe, when he relates to us, he does not objectify us. He guards and builds up our dignity. He does not try to destroy it for the sake of his will being done. If the God of the entire universe learns how to relate to the men and women on the earth that way, how much more so as Christians who have Christ in us learn how to relate to women in a dignified, selfless edifying way the objectifying has got to stop there's a lot of subconscious objectifying happening and it shows up because a lot of christian men you know they act like little middle schoolers you know well you know what middle schoolers used to do i remember middle school you know what they used to do they would ask a girl out they, they, they'd take a lot of courage and they'd be all talking to their friends i like i like laura leia you know i told you laura leia was my first crush in first grade she's a puerto rican girl right she gave me a valentine said be mine and i said oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> Uh, gracias, you know, and I was all about it. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, in middle school, what happens, right? Little, little boys, they get the courage to ask a girl out. And then they go up to the girl and say, oh, will you go out with me? And the girl would be like, all right. right. And then the moment they turn around, they go to their friends. You know what they say? Laura's my girlfriend now. And Laura's like, what? I ain't your girlfriend. But why, why does the guy think that way? Because they're objectifying women. They're seeing as, women as something to be conquered. Something to be possessed. And so the moment they get a foot in the door, they think they own that person. And so there's the presumptions made. She is now my girlfriend. But on the women's side of things, they don't see themselves as objects. They want a process to be played out. They want to know how committed you are. They want to know how interested they are and how interested you are. It's a process involved before she will say, yeah, you can call yourself my boyfriend. And you can call me your girlfriend. There's a process involved. It doesn't happen the moment you ask her out. And it does not happen the moment you have sex. Let's say you're a good Christian or let's say you don't even go to church. You're unchurched. You, you just never grew up in the church. And last week or last month, you went and you, sex, you had a sexual encounter with somebody. And it was somebody who was an acquaintance, a coworker, somebody you know, you see around. You have sex with them. What ends up happening? A lot of men will assume those who are kind of like hopelessly romantic, they will assume, oh, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now. Why? Why do men think that way? Because there's an objectifying that's happening in our culture. And we as Christian men, we need to rise up and start to confront this mindset. Be aware of it and uh, oppose and reject this mindset. Amen? Now, <clears throat> you ask her out on one date. If she says no, she may have reasons for saying so. In this case, don't get all depressed and, and don't try to keep chopping at the tree and keep pursuing her. Okay? Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to your pastor and your pastor may have something to say. All right? But don't, don't proceed any further unless you touch base with your pastor. Now, if she says yes, whoo, hallelujah! Okay? Let there be levels of hallelujah, okay? This is just the first level of hallelujah, okay? You just got one date. That's all you got, one date, Okay? <coughs> Go and enjoy the date. If the date goes well, be a gentleman. Tell the girl at the end of the date, you know, I, I just had a fabulous time. And um, 
you know, uh, if, you, if you have some time next week, I would like to ask you out on a second date. Could we go out again for, for, for some, you know, you know we're, we're talking about you like burgers. So let's, I, know, I know a great burger place. You know, be, be, be a gentleman. Be slick. Be, be a gentleman, you know. And when you ask her out on a second date, just ask for, once again, one date and one date only. Do not be like, well, we had a great first date. We should be boyfriend and girlfriend now. <laughs> right? Just, just one more date, okay? Now, when you come home, email a brief summary. Brief. Brief. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need 10 pages. Just brief summary. All right? Once again, this is just the first level hallelujah, okay? There's nothing happening yet. Just give me a brief summary and, of the date and email it to your pastor. And if it is good, if, if it's your situation is good, tell your parents about it. But you might want to use some wisdom on when to tell them about it. All right? But you might want to get your parents involved. Just tell them it was just a date. Don't let them you know, think that you know, you're know you going to marry this person. Okay? Then they're going to freak out. <clears throat> now, for all the dates after the first, the same do not principles apply. And depending on your level of acquaintance with this person, you may need anywhere from four to six dates before you can make a decision in your heart that your romantic feelings for her are substantial. So take time during these four to six dates to assess a comprehensive assessment, a comprehensive attraction. Don't just look at her physical beauty and be like, oh, she's so cute. Oh, she's so fine. Oh, man. And she just looks so good, you know? Like, you got to be comprehensive in your attraction and assessment. Amen? During stage one, figure out if you like the girl enough to make yourself vulnerable first and commit to her in a steady, committed relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend. All right? So in the middle of four to six dates or four to eight dates, however many need you need, well, don't do it too soon and don't do it too late. You got to find a good balance and it'll depend on each situation. Like going on 10 dates, right? And then telling the girl at the end, um, I had a great time on these 10 dates, but... Uh, I don't think I'm going to ask you out on the 11th. You know, the girl be like, what took you so long, boy? You took up all my Thursday nights for the last 10 weeks. That's two and a half months, boy. Okay. Don't take too long. It's a little, it's cruel. It's cruel. That's cruel. Right. If you're ready to commit, before you go talk to her, talk to your pastor. Check in with your pastor. Because you're about to proceed into stage two. Okay? Stage two, going steady. How do you get there? In order to get to stage two, you must go on another date and you do what is called a DTR. Everyone say DTR. DTR. What does DTR stand for? All right. People who've been in relationships, they know what that means. All right? Define the relationship. It is the talk where you define, so what are we? <laughs> are we just going to continue to go on casual dates or are we, are we something? Are we, are we going to be like, you know, what are all the uh, celebrity names? You know, like Brangina, Vangelina, and, you know, like all, you know, are we an item? Like, you know, Justin Bieber's question, you know? Are we an item? In that, in that, in that. Girl, quit playing. We're just friends. What are you saying? Right? Right? What's Justin Bieber as a teenager there in that, the lyrics of that song? What is he asking? He's like, I want a DTR, girl. Come on, you like me. You, we, you, I like you. We're going to be going bowling. We're going to chuck your cheeses together. What are we? Are we an item or not? 
Okay, that's the DTR. That's the DTR. Okay, so you got to have this DTR. And if the romantic interest is substantial on her end, she will say yes to going steady. Okay? But if she says no, once again, take it like a man. Psalm 27, 14. Let me give you the words of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If she says no, then take it like a man. Don't get all depressed and cry and, and use up all your pastor's time on the telephone. <laughs> all right, take it like a man. Now, if she says no, wait to see if it's a permanent no on her end. Now, sometimes a girl just needs more time before they say yes to something so major. So don't take it personally and get down on yourself. It looks unattractive, okay? Now, if she says yes, congratulations to you is officially your girlfriend. All right? Welcome to stage two. <laughs> but do not announce it. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't tell all your friends. Don't tell the whole church. Don't start sitting next to her and holding her hands during worship. Okay? So we're not there yet. You just went steady and that's it. You're in a hidden season. And girls need this hidden season. And you need this hidden season as a man as well. So don't rush things. Uh, During the stage two, the most important thing for the guy to focus on is to win her heart. Whereas before it was about getting to know each other, assessing whether it's compatibility, uh, substantial feelings and interests, all that stuff. Stage two, now that you're going steady, you got to win her heart. How do you do that? Get her gifts, chocolate, flowers. Now it's time to take her to the fancy restaurants. Write her letters. You can start maybe holding hands now, you know. Uh, but, you know, anything beyond hugs and holding hands can get out of hand. So during the stage, it's very important that you keep self-controlled about physical boundaries. Uh, make sure you're getting accountability, you know, from your spiritual leaders. But during the steady relationship period, you should update your parents. Let them know what's going on. Marriage may come up. They might start freaking out. Just calm them down. And tell them, look, I just hope it works out, but we don't know where it's going yet, all right? Now, after a month or two of going steady, speak to your pastor about the next stage, stage three. If there is strong mutual commitment, all right? Not just on your end, but you got to be able to sense that it's also on her end, okay? Now, a girl is going to be fickle. They may go on one date, uh, you know, and after going steady, they may go on a date with you, and they may have a great time. They laughing, right? The very next day, you might go on a date, and they just stone cold. And you're like, girl, what's going on? What, did I do something wrong? And you probably did. You probably did, but it's too early on in the relationship to get that vulnerable and for her to tell you what, all the little things that you did wrong. You know, it's going to really hurt your self-esteem. So she's not going to say something. She's doing it in love. Okay? But it might be a little cold. But it might go up and down like that, right? But you got to assess whether there's strong mutual commitment. Now, once you, there is strong mutual commitment, we're going to talk to the girl too. You know, if they both go to New Philly, we'll talk to the girl and the guy independently. If there is strong mutual commitment, you're ready for stage three. But you got to be sure before you go to stage three. You know why? Because stage three is pretty much the point of no return. Why? Because stage three, what is stage three? It's time to go public. It's time to tell all your family, all your cousins, all your friends, all your Facebook friends, everybody, you know, you know. This person is now in a relationship. Like, 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 like. Wow, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, wow, there is a God. Wow, wow. Do, 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 do. You know, all these comments go up. 
Uh, I'm, I'm gonna land this at 50, 50, 54. Oh man, I'm, I'm gonna try to land this right now. All right, you go public, uh, uh, and the way you go public is you set a date where you uh, are going to announce it on Facebook because that's you know the socially accepted way now to accept to kind of publicly announce it, right? But before you do that, you got to contact your closest family members and friends because if they found out through Facebook, they're gonna be calling up and be like, "Girlfriend, what's up? I thought we were close. What's up? Hey, cousin, how are you gonna do this to me? Who is this guy?" But he cute. Oh, but who is this guy? <laughs> like, don't identify those who are closest to you. Make sure they get it from you before they get it from Facebook. Okay? So that's some, something you just got to be aware of. And then at the predetermined location and time, just um, if, if at, a, at your church these things are celebrated, come up and share your love story in a brief manner. Tell people so that, you know, everyone can kind of be invited to celebrate your relationship. Uh, post some photos and put it on Facebook, and you're good, right? Now, now, during the go public stage, what's good is you can sit together at church. You know, you can hold hands at church. You can leave church together. You know, when Aaron and I were dating and we were in the hidden stage, we would, we would go, I would go out the main door, and she would go out the back door, and then we would meet at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> and we had to, we always wait till everybody left, right? Because, you know, we weren't, we weren't in public yet. But now you're public, you, you have the freedom to do that. You can go on double dates with other married couples and other dating couples at the church who have also gone public or enga- engagement. All right, it's a very, it's a different season where now you're going to have to face public scrutiny. But you see, if you get public scrutiny when the commitment isn't that strong, that relationship's gonna, it's gonna get shaken. A lot of doubts are gonna unnecessarily come in. And it's not gonna give the little flower the opportunity to bloom. Okay, but once this bloom, you can you can you can go public, right? And then you can face public scrutiny and know the relationship is uh, is going really well. All right, very good, very good, very good. I'm done. I'm done. All right, so <clears throat> stage one, dating. Stage two, go steady. Stage three, go public, and then stage four will be engagement, and stage five, marriage. New Philly dating protocol given to y'all within. An hour. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to land the plane here at 55 minutes. Uh, I was going to talk about can women take initiative here. Uh, I will mention it next week at the New Philly Seaside Sermon down in Pusan. I'm going to preach there. And if you would like the last and fourth installment of this message, be sure to check out our podcast or go on our YouTube page to look at the video of the sermon. Oh, actually, no, you can't look at the video of the sermon. You have to uh, listen to it on MP3 because uh, Pusan doesn't have video capabilities. All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, uh, we desire to be in the light as he is in the light. And Father, we desire to be a people that worship you in spirit and in truth. That seek to please you in all that we do. And so, Father, I pray for impartation of wisdom to go out today. Even as this message has been shared, the simplicity of it as well as the complexity of its wisdoms. I pray that this message will really challenge the men of the house to walk in a more edifying and a higher standard. That they won't just go after romantic relationships their own selfish way, reckless, careless. But they will understand that even their romantic pursuits ought to edify the community of God. That even when it doesn't work out, There doesn't have to be all kinds of hurt and disappointment and heartbreak. 
that it will be done in an edifying manner for the men. And I just pray for the women right now. I pray that through this message, the women will have a newfound respect for themselves. A greater and higher sense of self-esteem. And they will see themselves as they really are. Precious daughters of the Most High God. Not objects on a market to be bid on. But unique, beautifully crafted jewels. Beautifully created daughters of the Most High. That ought to be loved, respected, and pursued in a God-honoring, accountable manner. I pray for newfound respect to rise up in the hearts of the women. No longer will they allow a man just to treat them like property. No longer will they allow a man just to get her, get them into bed. No longer will they allow even a Christian, godly, charismatic man to use all kinds of spiritual prophecies and manipulation to get them involved in a relationship that wasn't even God-ordained. They would respect themselves to allow a process in which your voice makes it clear to them who you are leading them to marry. Yeah, I just pray that for all the women of the house right now.